story. There's a story. Years ago, of a Sunday school teacher, and she's got all of the kids engaged. They're all looking into her eyes, and she's teaching, except Susie, because it's always Susie. Susie's got her head down, and she's scribbling away, and so it's really distracting as she's teaching these incredibly important words to all the little kids. And as she's teaching, it's getting a little bit under her skin. And she says, Susie, Susie, what are you doing? Because I'm drawing a picture of Jesus. The teacher didn't really know what to make of this because she wanted to really enable this young girl to understand the depth of the theology of who Jesus is, as you do in Sunday school. And so she said, but Susie, nobody really knows what Jesus looks like. And as Susie's scribbling, she says, they will when I'm done my picture. (laughs) We all have a picture of Jesus. The whole world has a picture of Jesus. But is it a true picture of who Jesus is or is it our perceived picture of what Jesus is? I get a little tired um, when I get told about what people think I should think, about what people think us as Christians or the church should think. I hate it when I get um, corrected by the media and by society saying, That's not what the church is about. That's not what God's about. And I think, back off, sweetheart. I get really upset by that and frustrated by that and angered by that. But I'm also challenged by that. Because everybody has a picture of who Jesus is. Even we do. I want to read something that was written over 100 years ago. And it was written by Dr. James Allen Francis. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside of a big city. He never travelled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he, was a, he is a centrepiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of one man upon this earth as powerfully as one, that one solid tree life. What can't be denied is the significance of Jesus. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. A third of all people on earth are Christians or identify with Jesus in some way. Christianity is significant. Jesus is significant. Have you ever Googled who is Christ or who is Jesus? Each of them, or there's millions of people who do that each week, each month, Each of them have 2.4 billion responses. 
2.4 billion responses. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see a room of 12 people, I know there's 13 different opinions, especially in church meetings. Yeah? So 2.4 billion responses of who is Jesus, 2.4 billion responses of who is Christ. There's a lot of views of who Jesus is. How do we get those views? I would like to say that we're all sitting here going because we've studied the scriptures and we understand who Jesus is, and that's mostly true. But a lot of our understanding of who Jesus is is through our culture, through our experience, through our friends, through our church experience, yeah? So a lot of who we are, a lot of who we understand Jesus to be is because of where we've been that influences how and that we read the Bible. So I want to say to us, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Because we need to take outside of our history, take outside of our culture, take outside of our church's words and to be able to ask, who is Jesus? And the only space and place that we can truly define that is through the scriptures. And we need to be able to pursue the Bible to be able to ask the question, who is Jesus? There's a story of a minister who went into a nursing home. Within this nursing home, there's a lot of dementia patients. And he's walking around and talking to a lot of people. He walks up to this one lady and says, do you know who I am? And she says, no, but if you go to the front desk, they'll be able to tell you. (laughs) When Jesus walked on earth, he knew who he was. And the scripture talks about who he was and and talks about how Jesus responded knowing who he was. But the people around him, they didn't know so much who he was. And I want to read out of Matthew 16. Jesus asked his followers, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say that you are the John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. And still others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because no person taught you that. My Father in heaven showed you who I am. The question I want to ask you is who do you see Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? I want to look at who Jesus is and I want to look at it from Colossians because Colossians 1, I think, has the most beautiful passage describing the person of Jesus. The Colossians knew the man Jesus. They knew his history. There were people around Colossea that had travelled through Colossea that said, I I met Jesus, I heard him, I saw him. That first-hand knowledge and testimony. But what does Colossians 1 say about Jesus? What did Paul say into these people? From verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among all the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So let's go through this and have a look at what this is about. 
The first thing is that Jesus is the, invi- in the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the picture, the real-life example, the model, the reflection of who God is. Because we need to understand at this time, God is the invisible God. He is the God who led the Jewish people. He led the Hebrews. They have the stories and they have the history. They have the tabernacle. But it's the invisible God. It's God who's there and God who speaks to some people. He speaks to the prophets. He speaks to certain people, but he's invisible. The people know of God through the stories. They know of God through the priests, the the church, but not through their individual experience so much. They can't identify or connect with who God is because he's the invisible God. But here Paul's saying is Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the face, the hands and the feet of this God who we've been following as a people for thousands and thousands of years. Jesus has come to show us who the God is. Colossians 2.9 says he is the fullness of the presence of God. Jesus is the fullness of who this God is. God they've been worshipping and following who they haven't been able to see or totally understand walked around amongst them as Jesus. Jesus is the image of that invisible God. More than that, he's the firstborn. Now we can easily say, hold, hold, hold. He was not the firstborn. But when we look in the Old Testament, it talks about David being the firstborn. Now David wasn't the firstborn of the family. He was one of the younger ones. But what happened is he was the most prominent. He got the inheritance. He was the one that was risen up above the others. And that's what the word means in the, in, in the Greek. It means that he is the preeminent son. So when it says he is the firstborn, he is the preeminent son, the preeminent person, the preeminent son of all of the children of God. The um, Jehovah's Witnesses would say that um, Jesus was a created being. What this is saying is not a created being. He's more than that. He's the preeminent one. He is the image of the invisible God. And more, he is the creator. So Jesus is a creator, which messes with your mind because these people would know that, hold on, no, Jesus was born here. We know the stories. We saw him walking. He was 30-year-old, so he looked much like me. Um, So he was a good-looking young bloke, and he walked around. We saw him. We knew him. We know the stories. How can you say... He created, he was the creator. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John's saying that Jesus was a part of creation. He was the creator. And what this passage is saying is that Jesus isn't just a man. He's not just the image of God. He's not just the preeminence of all humanity. He's also the creator. And then it goes on to say that he is before all things. John 8 says, When Jesus was having a dispute with a group of Jews, Jesus said, Abraham Abraham rejoiced to see this day. And someone in the audience did not like him saying that, and they said, you're not even 50 years old, and you were before Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, of course, that reflects back to Exodus, where the people were trying to understand who God, God is, and Joseph, uh, Moses went away and said to God in the burning bush, who can I say you are? What's your name? And God said, I am. 
How do we find God? I am. God just is. He just always has been. He just always will be. His I am. The name that Jews would not say because it was too holy. And Jesus said, this is who I am. He's saying that I am God, that I am a part of the God that you've been worshipping for thousands of years. I am the God who you know but don't know. I am the God who has always been here. I am Yahweh. So we've got this picture of Jesus the man. The Colossians knew Jesus the man. They knew the stories of Jesus the man. But then he's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn. He is the creator. And he is before all things. So Jesus always has been. But where does that fit us? Because there is a theology saying that all something made us and then sat back and went, let's see how this all goes. Paul's saying that's not how it is. Paul's saying that Jesus came and he holds all things together. You remember a few years ago, about 10 years ago, there was Louis Giglio. You remember his indescribable, amazing stuff. So he did another video after that. And basically Louis, Louis Giglio said, let's have a look at the biggest thing that there is in this world. And so he went into the solar system and the stars and all that and said at the very edges of the universe... There's signs of God. But then he went, let's go to the smallest thing. And he went into the cells and went into the smallest elements of the cells. And in there, there's the evidence of God. And you need to understand that Jesus is involved in all of who we are, in all of this world, that Jesus sustains all life, that Jesus was the creator, Jesus was before all things, and Jesus is still a part of everything that happens. In Matthew 6, 26, there's a passage. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He then talks about the flowers and the grasses of the field and says God is so involved in, in all of nature, how much more does he care for us? And Jesus is not just this God up here, not just this God back there, but God is this God with us, who cares for us, that walks with us, that holds all things together. But what else is Jesus? Jesus is the head of the church. So, as we know, he's one up on Jason, because Jason is the head of the Queensland Baptist. He's higher up, that he's in charge of all of the Baptists, or maybe even higher than that. Maybe all of the Protestants. How cool is that? But when we look at Colossians, that was before the Protestants, you know, give or take 1,500 years. Um, but it was before the Catholic Church, give or take 250 years. He was the head of the church. So what's the church? Because we see we're in church, but then we understand we're a part of the church. But then there's a bigger picture of the church. But what is this talking about being the church, the head of the church? It's the, the gathered believers. It's all Christians. That Jesus is the head of all of Christianity, all of the believers, all those who know and love him. But I want to go a step further. Because Adam and Eve, who was created to become a part of a relationship with the Father? All of us. Every person. 
But when sin got in the way, that broke it. So we all were a part of the family, the body of Christ. But then when sin came in, we broke that relationship. But God is the head of all of this. So when it says the church, I believe what it's saying is God is the head of all of us that have broken the curse of sin. So Jesus is the head of this world. Jesus is the head of the church, but more than just the structural denominational church. That God is the head of all of those who live and breathe. So God is the God. Jesus is the God who always has been. Jesus sustains all life. Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Now we know people die. We know people died in Jesus' day. We know Lazarus, how he died and Jesus brought him back to life. But Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Because Jesus is the firstborn to have not died, even though he died. Because he was fully resurrected. And Jesus, what this is saying, I believe, is that it's talking about Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, into eternity. That Jesus knows the way to heaven for us and with us. And Jesus leads us to eternity. Jesus isn't just significant on earth. Jesus just isn't significant to the area of where the Bible was written. Jesus is significant to us in all of eternity. Jesus rose from the dead so that he can walk with us to the Father for eternity. So Jesus was before all time. Jesus is through all time. And Jesus leads us to the rest of time. He was and he is and he is forever will be. Then it goes on and says that Jesus is the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Jesus is 100% God. Because remember the people were saying Jesus is 100% man. They saw him walk around. They saw the stories. They interacted. They heard him speaking. They were friends of his. They were people who connected with him. They knew that he was 100% man. But Paul's saying he's 100% God. And he's saying that when we look at the life of Jesus, we saw Jesus doing miracles. We saw him healing people, raising the dead, changing nature, doing amazing, impossible things. There are people who were witnesses, eyewitnesses to Jesus and who he was, how he was sinless and lived a perfect life. We saw that Jesus was the fulfilment of thousands of years of prophecy that when they were prophesying and waiting for the Messiah, Jesus was that one they were waiting for. Jesus identified who he was and he said that I am the Son of God. He said that he is the one who we've been waiting for. As I said before, he said that I am Yahweh. He's resurrected. They saw that he rose from the dead. People saw and witnessed him after he died alive. And there were the claims of the followers of Jesus, and Paul was one of them, to say, I know Jesus is real, I know who Jesus is, and I know that Jesus is fully God. Now, when we say 100% God and 100% man, we go, oh, yeah, yeah. But what we're in saying in our heads is 50-50, 60-40, you know, because we can only be 100% of something. So what are we? But Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And I mathematically can't do 200%. But Jesus somehow significantly is fully God and fully human. So what 
is the point of all of that. As I said before, I've come into this new role and I was looking at the role. Janelle and I have these discussions sometimes and um, it was like, oh, it's time to leave Yandina. I've been there 12 years. What's next? I don't know. I need to finish in Yandina and then work out what's next. So what do you want to do? I said, oh, I'd love to get into camping. But that's never possible. Nothing comes available. And a week later, a job position came available as a manager. And I went, OK, then. Now, I had a picture of the campsite on the beach or in the mountains with four-wheel driving. And this was in Brisbane. But anyway, it is camping. And so I wrote this resume. And as I'm writing this resume, every part of this thing, because I'm looking at going out, then I look back and go, oh, I remember at that part of my life I did this. You know, there was a time where I did... Um, re-architectured a building for use and then another time where I I did maintenance stuff and another time I've done management and leadership and another time... And I'm looking at this role, I'm just going, through my life, all of these things are lining up to this role. That's crazy. I thought I'd lived a really cool life of doing all sorts of weird and wacky things, but now it all makes sense. How cool is that? All of my life led up to this one place of saying this is the role that God wants of me. But then when we look at what Paul's saying in Colossians, Jesus, who you know, who you've heard stories of, you're connected with, Jesus was always, Jesus is, Jesus will be, Jesus. So what's the point of Jesus saying all of that? Well, Paul's saying that Jesus is the reconciliation. He is the reconciler. All of that is for a reason. All of that background on Jesus is to come to this one point. And Paul says that Jesus is the one who reconciles. 1 John, that which we have touched, that which we have seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, that we give testimony to, the word of truth. The one that they knew as Jesus is the one that came to reconcile us, to bring us in to the family of God. Jesus was fully man. He identified, he understood what it was like to be us. He connected with us. He built relationship with us. He showed us how to live, how to connect and how to relate. Jesus, fully God, was the only one able to come in and take that place of sitting in and and showing us what it was or who God is and what it is to be like God. Jesus being fully God and fully man enables us to be able to connect with him but also enables God to connect with us to be able to bring a wholeness and a healing that we can get in no other way. Jesus came, his purpose, to reconcile God and man, to reconcile us with our Father. Colossians 1 continues, and I want to read the next section of Colossians 1, and it goes from verse 21. Once you were alienated from God... And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Um, in Christo solo or solus Christus is Latin for in Christ alone, and it's one of the tenements of the Reformation. In Christ alone. The only way we connect with God, the only way we can be fully healed, the only way we can be reconciled is through Jesus and in through Jesus alone. How good's that? 
that when we look at Jesus and we look at, oh, Jesus said this, did this, did this, the whole purpose of who he is is because God wants to reconcile us and him. That's the point. That's the purpose. God wants to reconcile us and him. He wants to heal what we broke so that we have future and we have an eternity and we have hope. So Jesus asked those around him, who do you say I am? Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? I ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Well, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But, it's not a, but let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. I'm one of those many, many people that are being changed and transformed because of Jesus. He changed my life and he continues to change my life. When I was in my early 20s, I came to a place in my life of saying, what's real? What's true? Is God real? Is God true? And I said to God, as you do, in an arrogant 20-year-old God, away, God, if you're real, prove it. Otherwise, I'll just move on and work it out. And over the next six to 12 months, God proved within a shadow of doubt that he is real and that he is involved in my life. God showed me that he has a purpose for me. And I had two choices. Some would say three, I say two. Two choices, either walk away or follow him completely. I couldn't say that God's real and just say, eh, I'll hold that. I had to either follow him or walk away. So I followed him, I've been in ministry ever since. That clincher of saying God is real, I must follow God. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you say that Jesus always has been? Do you say that Jesus always is? Do you say Jesus always will be? And do you say that Jesus is the one who has healed and resurrected your life? Is Jesus your saviour? Has Jesus changed and is Jesus changing your life to become more and more like him? Let's pray. Father, you are beyond words. Father, who you are and what you've done is beyond anything we can be grateful for or be thankful for. Father, we want to thank you that you are our God. We want to thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, we want to thank you for all you did. Being God and being constrained as a human and being beaten and rejected from all of us is not something I'd want. But that's what you did for me and for us. Father, I thank you that you give us hope. Father, thank you that you give us healing. 
And Father, I thank you that you are our God, our Saviour, our life, and that you are ours for eternity. Father, thank you for all that you've done and thank you for all that you are doing in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.